Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. An Erio's original. Each week, we decide who's to blame for a historical tragedy. And each week, you tell us if we got it right. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and this is The Aftermath. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode of The Aftermath. Our guest expert is Tim Madigan, journalist and author of The Burning, Massacre, Destruction, and the Tulsa Race Riot of 1921. And let's hear what he has to say about the Tulsa Massacre. Hi, Tim. Welcome to uh, The Alarmist. Thanks for joining us. It's good to be with you. So I wanted to see if you, uh, we could start off by having you tell us how it was that you came across this decades-old buried historical tragedy and what started you off on your research. Well, I was uh, working at a newspaper in Fort Worth, Texas, and uh, and I was born and raised in the upper Midwest, uh, a white guy, obviously, in the upper Midwest, and had very little knowledge of uh, our our racial history. Uh, and one day, uh, my boss came up and handed me the story from out of Oklahoma that talked about uh, this prosperous uh, African American community in Tulsa uh, that was had been obliterated by a white mob in 1921. Uh, up to 300 people uh, killed. Uh, 10,000 people left homeless. This uh, affluent community completely burned to the ground. And she and I looked at one another and I said, 
this can't be true because if, if it were true, we would certainly have known about it. And she said, that was exactly my reaction. So she sent me to Tulsa and I did a piece, uh, for the paper called that ran under the headline of Tulsa's terrible secret. And, uh, subsequent to that, I got an, had, <clears throat> excuse me, an opportunity to write a book about it. So I spent a year and a half, uh, researching and writing about what had happened. And, uh, Frankly, it was a life-changing experience for me because before I had been oblivious. And once I had learned the history of which Tulsa was completely consistent with and a metaphor of actually, it really changed my life. And it really changed the way I looked at uh, other people and, and uh, our history as a nation generally. So may, could you start off by uh – setting up the scene for our listeners, um, maybe talk about the actual state of Oklahoma and the origins of the city of Tulsa. Um, if you could give us some background on the racially charged history of the state. Well, uh, Tulsa itself is a sleepy little place uh, in what was basically the place where a lot of uh, Southeastern uh, Native American tribes are, re- are located uh, after the so-called Trail of Tears. Uh, and Tulsa was an, an Indian village and very a very sleepy place until in the early part of the 19th or the 20th century, oil was discovered nearby. And so virtually overnight, this thriving, very affluent place that uh, suddenly skyscrapers were built and it became a town of between 75 and 100,000 people, uh, people making money hand over foot, foot and from all over the country, African-Americans came to to also profit in this because they went to work as nannies and chauffeurs and gardeners and cooks and uh, domestics. And then they would take their money back north across the railroad tracks into the Greenwood neighborhood, and they were very well paid comparatively. And so this professional class sprang up, uh, doctors, lawyers, uh, movie theaters, restaurants, newspapers, drug stores, for, the, for these people who worked for the whites to have a place to spend their money. And it became this, one of the most thriving African, African-American communities in the country. Booker T. Washington uh, gave it the name, the Black Wall Street. So the, in 1921, it was this thriving black community. And uh, at that time in our history, however, uh, a thriving black people tended to inspire a great deal of jealousy among whites. And among many other things that were going on, uh, we were in the thick of Jim Crow or lynching uh, had become something of a spectator sport and uh, was reported in newspapers. And uh, it, it was just a horrific time in our, in our, in our, uh, in our history. The one key element I think was that uh, a few years before tens of thousands of black men had, had served in world war one and had fought and died for their country uh, in World War I, believing that they're, by virtue of their sacrifice, that uh, time, there's, the circumstances of blacks in the country would have changed. And if any, but if anything, when they came back, they found that things had deteriorated even more. So now these black veterans, many of them were bound and determined or, or committed to the fact that they weren't going to stand idly by and uh, allow their people to be. Uh, the victims of racial violence. And that's pretty much what, you know, Tulsa was kind of a pile of kindling waiting for a match. 
Um, and that's pretty much what happened in, in Tulsa on the last day of May and first day of June, 1921. Can you walk us through the events of that day, of, of Monday the 30th? Dick Rowland was a young shoeshine boy who worked in White Tulsa. It was clearly he, uh, he was familiar with and perhaps even had a romantic relationship with a white young woman, a white uh, woman who ran an elevator in one of the downtown high-rises. One day, Dick Rowland gets on the elevator with him, and it's unclear exactly what happened, whether he tripped and fell into her or something else happened. Next thing you know, she's screaming assault, and uh, Dick Rowland disappears, please, because... It was a very bad thing for a young black man to be accused of assaulting a white woman. The police later determined, even though Roland was arrested, police quickly determined that the charge, there was probably nothing to the accusations. And I think that they were, uh, Dick Roland was being held in jail as much for his own protection as anything else. And that things probably would have died there. Uh, were it not for kind of a race-baiting newspaper man in Tulsa by the name of Richard Lloyd-Jones, who published a front-page editorial of his paper on, on May 31st under the headline, To Lynch Negro Tonight. And within a few minutes, hundreds of people had gathered around the courthouse uh, where Roland was being held. And the paper also made its way to Greenwood, the Black community, where or the, the, these veterans read it, took up arms, and uh, basically said, hell no, it's not happening here. They went down to the courthouse to basically offer their uh, services to the white sheriff. And uh, during one of these visits, late at probably about 1030 at night on the 31st, a shot was fired and all hell broke, broke loose. And that's where the bloodshed began. The blacks fell back across the tracks and they're preparing for what everyone knew was coming. Just after 5 a.m. the following morning, there was a whistle. There was a signal to this mob of about 10,000 people who were, had been situated uh, strategically around the Greenwood neighborhood to begin the attack. And I think by noon uh, of that day, uh, the, the, the community had been pretty much obliterated. How did Sheriff McAuliffe and uh, the police chief, Gustafson, deal with this heightened situation? Well, McCullough was one of the heroes of this story, one of the white heroes of this story, and there weren't many of them, because he basically told the mob that to get to the prisoner, you're going to have to kill me first. And he brought him to the, this jail on the fourth floor, of which the only way to get there was by elevator and a, a narrow staircase and, and, and basically just disabled the elevator and prepared for, was willing to defend this Dick Rowland uh, with his own life, if necessary. Gustafson's role is clearly he did little to stop what had happened. And in fact, he was one of the he was one of the few people who was actually convicted of a crime as a result of this because he, he was accused of the equivalent of dereliction of duty. So he didn't he did very little, if anything, to stop it. And I think it's more likely that he participated in the planning of this. In some to some level, what is true is that scores of members of the police department took part, were members of the mob, uh, took part in the looting of hardware stores for weapons and ammunition, basically were leaders in, in this movement of destruction. Documentation of it is hard to come by. The, uh, the highest levels of Tulsa were, were very much complicit in, in, in what had happened, either 
overtly or uh, by their unwillingness or uh, to do anything to really stop it. Are there any written accounts of Sarah Page's and uh, Dick Rowland's statements, or was that totally lost? Uh, of course, I'm sure there's probably some record of Sarah Page's statement. Um, records of uh, Dick Rowland's life survived in various places. It's been 20 years since I wrote the book, so I, I can't really remember specifically. But through uh, interviews with his relatives uh, and friends, uh, there was a picture emerging of what what the truth was of all this. Um, and again, whatever Sarah Page had said, accused Roland of, uh, the detectives had pretty quickly determined that uh, she was kind of a nefarious character herself and, uh, and that even in an era when you didn't have to do much as a, as a black man when it came to a white woman, that, that it seemed unlikely that any kind of prosecution was going to move forward. Interesting. So what, in your opinion, was this an organized assault on Greenwood and its residents uh, and if so, how did how did the mob go about doing it? One of the chapters in my book is called a single a single ruthless organism, and I don't think there's any question that it was organized somehow, because there's all these people, you know, thousands of them, uh, who were armed and who were s- situated at at the at strategic places all on Greenwood, and that included people, uh, mobsters who commanded the high ground where they placed uh, uh, of, you know, machine guns um, to, that could fire down on Greenwood. Plus, the, you throw in the fact that uh, airplanes were used. Uh, my book opens with the recollection of a, per, of a, she was an old woman at the time, a young girl, or when I interviewed her, but a young girl when this happened and her mother woke, woke her up and said, Eldoris, we need to go. The white folks are killing the colored people. And so as they're fleeing town, Eldoris looks up and all of a sudden she's seeing this biplane. And, and, and as she does, she notices that there are these heavy, like big raindrops are hitting the ground around her. And she realized what she was seeing were bullets and many, many different accounts and up to and including the uh, Molotov cocktails being thrown down uh, onto buildings from, from the air. So it was the first time in American history, uh, not uh, Pearl Harbor, not 9-11, uh, that America had been attacked from the air, but this time it was Americans attacking Americans. So those things don't happen uh, randomly. And, so no one can say this person or gave this order, or that person gave that order, but clearly there was a great deal of organization into what happened. I, I think I read somewhere that um, the the it, it was also organized how the white mob looted these houses, um, and that they would go in and make sure that either no one was there into the houses and, and make sure no one was there. And then the, the, there would be white women who would go in and kind of take all of the, the valuables. It, was this something that happened? That's exactly right. And groups of men, 12 to 15 would go into it, would kick down the, kick down the door of a home if they if they weren't allowed in 
And if there were any people left inside, if they didn't didn't surrender, often they were killed. Uh, one story is of an old black couple who were kneeling in prayer uh, when the mob came through the front door, and 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 they were both shot dead. So the mob would go through the house uh, and stealing anything of real value, and the things that didn't have value were piled in the middle of a, a room and doused with kerosene. At some point, a lot of times, the women would come in uh, after that, before the the torch was put to the place, and, uh, and basically with shopping bags, and uh, and would would steal anything left that was of any value. And one of the stories that you know you could hear or I heard from survivors was for years thereafter, when a black person was in White Tulsa, he or she would be looking for a dress on a white woman's back or a piece of jewelry on a, on a white on a white person's finger. And oftentimes they would see it. I, I mean, that uh, their, their belongings. And so then uh, after the women had left, then the torch was laid. And it just went like this from house to house, business to business, church to church, school to school. Uh, and the only things that were essentially were left standing were rental properties owned by whites or uh, outhouses, because evidently the mob didn't feel like out, an outhouse was uh, was worth wasting kerosene on. So how did the city deal with the aftermath of the, of the massacre? In the days after, immediately after this happened, the national media descended on Tulsa and, and the New York Times and the Washington Post and all the major, all the major papers from all over the country uh, and they wrote very, very damning accounts uh, of what had happened, clearly laying the blame at the mob, at the at, at the feet of the mob. And at the time, the Tulsa leaders, Tulsa's white leaders, were very contrite and promised to atone somehow. As soon as the reporters left, their attitudes changed abruptly. They basically attempted to confiscate uh, the, the land that had been burned out for their own use. And were only stopped by legal action taken by black lawyers who ended up prevailing in the courts. And so ultimately Greenwood was allowed to be rebuilt where it had first stood. And so that was there. And then, then of course, began this remarkable conspiracy of silence um, that was participated in on both sides of the tracks. Uh, among African-Americans, that was inspired largely by fear as one survivor told a teenage student in the 1950s, he said, the killers are still running this town. And, you know, and, and you can see, you know, this kid, this teenager had, had learned about what had happened for the first time. And he said, you can see that if you live through it once, you certainly don't want to live through it again. He said, I, he, and he said, blacks will talk about it, but they got you, they'll need to know who you are. They're very careful. He said the whites are careful too, but for a very different reason. One is that they're ashamed, or two, if they're afraid, they're afraid of being arrested, not of uh, dying. Um, so that, and I think that this uh, dynamic similar to this played out all across the country, and I think that's one of the reasons why uh, I think one of our great uh, sources of national shame is the fact that so little about this period is it's taught in our schools. Uh, and so the same kind of dynamic contributed to this same conspiracy of silence or what I call this willful 
cultural amnesia that has afflicted us until, geez, last, uh, last year or so, I think. In your opinion, who or what do you think is to blame for the Tulsa massacre? I think that the newspaper publisher, this probably wouldn't have happened were it not for him. How did they contribute to the chaos? Well, I mean, he just, he just, uh, there was also already a, an atmosphere of lynching in Tulsa. And he, he wrote in whatever he wrote on the front page of that paper, he ran under a headline, to lynch Negro tonight. And now these people showed up either to participate in the lynching or to observe it. And, uh, and, and that was, it was a, a hideous thing to address it more uh, globally as the to blame was just kind of this atmosphere of hate uh, that pervaded uh, the nation at the time atmosphere of hate and atmosphere of violence that was endorsed by uh, the highest levels in our country including Woodrow Wilson and Supreme Court members this wasn't exclusive to the south either terrible racial violence happened in St. Louis, Duluth, Minnesota, Chicago, Washington, D.C. It was just a, it was just a horrible, it was just a horrible moment in our history. And I think that, uh, and the fact that blacks, especially these servicemen were determined that they were, they were no longer going to stand idly by just kind of contributed to a very, very volatile situation. And like I said, Tulsa was completely consistent with everything else that was going on in our country at the time. The only thing that distinguished it uh, was the scope. It's hard to, uh, you know, there's, you point to the publisher, you point to the police chief, you point to various people. uh, But overall, I just think it was the atmosphere of hate and violence that, uh, that that are to blame for what happened. Well, thank you so much uh, for talking to us about this uh, terrible tragedy. And thank you so much for uh, your research. And uh, please tell everyone how they can find your book. Uh, The book is sold at all the the usual online booksellers. Uh, Amazon is the most popular one, but Barnes & Noble also has it online. Thank you so much, Tim. You're welcome. Thank you. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and t shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have stress and anxiety we carry around as we go about our everyday life. At The Alarmist, we know it's always better to say it out loud and talk it through. Whenever I stress about the sinking of the Titanic, I don't sit with those thoughts in a dark room. I turn on the lights and dive right into it. Therapy is a great place to get things off your chest and work through what's really going on. Maybe you can't stop spiraling or catastrophizing. I started therapy over 10 years ago and never looked back. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Heck, we sometimes change our minds and rethink the verdict at The Alarmist. And that's also okay when it comes to therapists. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Alarmist today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Alarmist. So with us today, we have producer Amanda Lund. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Rebecca. Uh, just a quick disclaimer. I, if you hear construction noises, it's my bad. Um, there's a bunch of guys building a deck, like literally right outside my office where I record. So you're not going crazy if you hear like some Whitney Houston blasting. That is what they're listening to. <laughs> they're listening to Whitney. I totally respect this construction company. So... What about that interview with Tim Madigan? It was awesome that he seemed to have such a deep knowledge of what happened and just um, sort of his trajectory of hearing about it and then um, going out and investigating to kind of do a story on it. Um, Yeah. It just was like, it was really cool. But for me, what really stood out was him talking about McAuliffe as a hero, because even though... I, we seemed we were just more confused by his actions and thinking they were maybe more chaotic or protecting his self-interest. But um, it's possible that McAuliffe was a really good guy and was actually actually had some integrity. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is the the situation, I, I, and not not even to get political, but the the it's complicated. It's complicated because it seems like he was trying to do uh, a good job. And yet I still do think that he could have done more to perhaps stop it. But again, you know, he had his chief of police that was above him. So when you're kind of in that environment of uh, in that hierarchy, which is the police department, it's hard to kind of say, sorry, chief, I'm taking over. Uh, yeah, you know, I think that's true. Although he did turn everyone away. Yeah, I, I do think he he tried to diffuse the situation. Um, yeah, and he did do his best to protect Roland, and he was successful at that. That was his job to make sure yeah. that they didn't get to him, and they didn't. So I also listen, I'm not I'm not saying we give him the big clap, <laughs> but I'm just saying maybe we were a little bit hard on him. Maybe he didn't need to go on the board. Is right, right. I, I think you're right about that. We will look, we struck him. We we maybe we should have struck him <laughs> from the board, not actually struck him. <laughs> S- sooner. Yeah. <laughs> but uh I thought it was interesting that uh he said that they the police pretty quickly gathered all of the information about Roland and after assessing it, we're like, yeah, we're pretty sure there's, there's not much here. 
He also inferred that Sarah, the young woman, was sort of an unsavory character. Yeah, which was kind of Randy's inclination, if if you recall. He he was yeah. uh, he was the one who was like, I don't know about Sarah, I don't trust. And maybe we I don't know. It, it, it's it's peculiar. He did mention that she was also the one that re- that yelled assault. Where everywhere I've read, it was that the store clerk was the one that yelled assault. So it's it feels like there's not a lot of proper documentation on the matter, and therefore speculation. A, a lot of this are accounts of people who were there, and these accounts right. are being taken years and years and years after. Now, don't get me wrong. When something traumatic happens to you, you remember the specifics. I mm-hmm. I do believe that. But sometimes, you know, things things get, they're, they're not as fresh. It's one thing to oh. talk about something the day after it happened versus 30 years after it happened. And we deal with that a lot on this podcast. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Not a lot of these are fresh. <laughs> we try and be as fresh as we can, but sometimes things go stale. You can't help it. Bread will go yeah. stale. It's so true. I'm so glad after hearing the guest expert um, that we slapped, we backhanded the Tulsa Tribune. Yes. Because I don't think it fully landed with me when we were recording the episode. How horrible they were and what an impact their actions had because like how um when um tim madigan said that the incident could have just ended at the initial brawl outside of the courthouse but then the tulsa tribune publishing these stories sort of were self-fulfilling prophecies in a way that's right I I agree with you. I think that while I was reading it, while it was terrible, like learning about what the what the Tulsa Tribune did in in instigating this massacre, I don't think I I, I fully understood. And and you know, I should have known better. You know why? Because we were just recently through this toilet paper panic. And we, if we, <laughs> we know what that small thing did to an entire country. Imagine what. Uh, what 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 it could do when when there's so much racial tension like just ready to explode? Yeah, but I also I stand by our verdict. I I liked what um, Tim said about um, blaming the atmosphere of hate. I think that in some ways goes hand in hand with um, white entitlement. Yes, I, I I agree with you. I think that those two are connected. Wouldn't wouldn't you say I? Yeah. So I I think I stand by it and I'm also glad we gave the Tulsa Police Department the the um full palm, not the back, but we gave them the yeah. palm. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think that that's good. So all in all, I think we did a good job. It was a tough it was a tough trial. And obviously these are sensitive issues, but I am proud of us for like just diving in and taking it on because I was so fascinated learning about it. And there's so many conclusions you can draw to like what's happening today. Um, and I think people enjoyed it. Me too. I, I think it's an it was an important episode. You know, we had some feedback on the socials. 
Uh, we have S. Grego 72. He says that someone needs to do some alarmist time for not teaching us about this. I found out a year and a half ago on a history podcast, and I'm 48. So that's... And then we had uh, Jezu 892. She responded, I'm 27 and also didn't... Uh, learn about this in school there's going to be a lot of people to blame i mean honestly that goes back to like the tulsa tribune of burning the papers or whatever they did well the the teachers go off of lesson plans right so who's in charge of making these lesson plans Mm. Mm, i'll have to dive into our educational department right (laughs) we're gonna have to see like who's writing the textbooks that's a good question i would honestly really like to know probably white people I'm, I think maybe. <laughs> Old yeah. white people? I, I'd put money on that, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, regardless, I want to know who these people are and why did they take, why did, the, did they not include that? Will, w- you know, we could do an, a whole mini episode on on uh, selective history in our textbooks. Mm. Mm. I mean, we should get our hands on some of these textbooks. We should. I, 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 that would be fun. <laughs> Actually, we'd get a lot of episode ideas if we got like a, <laughs> A textbook from like 1986. <laughs> a history, oh my American god, history, that's a whole season. <laughs> um, we also had uh, our good friend uh, Pete Thomas. He's not really a good friend. We've never met him, but uh, <laughs> he's a friend of the Alarmy, and he said on Facebook, "I mean Henry the Eighth ones." He, as you guys, if you guys recall, he's our Henry the Eighth fan, or you know. He's like the Henry VIII conspiracy. Yeah, he he thinks that Henry VIII is to blame for all of the world's problems, even before Henry VIII was born. (laughs) Uh, And then he just stopped himself and he said, who am I kidding? You've got it right. So we got the Pete Thomas uh, stamp of approval. (laughs) Wow, we finally broke him down. (laughs) But I I love hearing what you guys have to say about uh, our, our topics and our episodes. So... I encourage you to comment uh, about them on our social media, on Instagram, and on Facebook, even on Twitter. Uh, so, Amanda, how are we doing uh, on your re- regarding your review campaign? Yes. Yeah, so, if everyone remembers on last week's aftermath, I did a desperate plea for reviews on Apple Podcasts, and I was saying that we only have four out of five stars, which, quite frankly, is shocking. It's alarming. Um, and and I wanted to get to a thousand reviews. And I said, if we got to a thousand reviews, we would give you, our alarmy, the big clap. Now, what do you think we're at, Rebecca, as far as reviews? Um, what were we at last week? Nine, nine something? I think it was like 920 okay. or 930. Yeah, so like, 940, like 950, 950? We're at 949 ratings. Oof. 949. And we're still at four out of five stars. So I we only need 11 more um, ratings to get to our goal of 1,000. But let me just read some of these because you guys are so sweet what you're writing. Um, we have, okay, this is coming in from JAG1152, five stars. During these troubled times, I've looked at a lot of different things to define my purpose. Now I know I'm also an alarmist. Anyway, I've learned so much about things I didn't care about. Now I do care. This makes me more aware of my current world and thinking about who is to blame when something goes wrong. I've always had an analyzing kind of mind, and this brainstorming format is really cool. Love it. 
Here's another one from the Reza O2. I started listening to this podcast about a month ago and I've already binged the majority. I work at a grocery store. Thank you so much for being an essential worker, which has obviously been very stressful lately. I've shifted my hours to avoid working with the public. Oh, awesome. So basically, I work alone for many hours a day before the store opens. This podcast has been a welcome distraction during this time, and I really appreciate the mix of research and lots of comedy. Please keep them coming. Yay, that's nice. Thank you, Reza. So, and Jag. We need, yes, thank you guys. And we need the rest of you. To um, take some time right now to go to the Apple Podcast app and write us a review and leave us five stars. And I, I have faith that um, by next week's Aftermath, we'll be well over one. Wow, that would be really and exciting. You all, yeah. That would be great. Yes, that would be that would what be should we do if we hit a thousand? I mean, they're getting the big. They clap. are. If we can get to a thousand, and then I mean, what would our next goal be? Like, then at some point we'll do a bonus episode or something for people. That's a good call. Now, we have our 50th episode coming up. 50th anniversary, would you call it? Um, we got to do a big one for that. Yeah. Maybe people can uh, write in with some suggestions for this big 50th. I know. I was kind of thinking about that um, earlier today. Like, what are some of the, what are some big historical events we haven't done yet? And could we do one of those for the 50th? Yeah, we did Jesus Christ. That would have been a good 50th celebration. That, would have been, that was good. <laughs> and of course, we have the ones that we'll never do. That's right. But That's I don't right. know. We, we covered Tulsa and it went okay. So maybe we could <laughs> at some point. I don't know if we can do the Holocaust, Amanda, or 9-11. Take a stab. <laughs> no. <laughs> um but Maybe yeah right 100th 100th episode we'll see we'll work our way there <laughs> i don't know i think we could do a 9-11 you think so yeah you don't think it's too soon uh i don't know i i feel like we could handle it i don't know i feel like we could sensitively cover it I think that there's so many people who are like family of of people who passed away maybe it's because also because my uh, Chris's family is from Long Island and there's like so much it, it still feels very alive in Long mm. Island so yeah. uh I'm always tentative but you know we'll and they see. do listen right Chris's and family. they do listen yeah. well but you know they they're supportive so they're, they're um, the easier uh, yeah, so uh, email us with any ideas for the 50th episode because yeah that is coming up I think in like next month right uh so please send your requests our way um well it's been a delight amanda to see you today via as Zoom. always rebecca i yeah. look forward to our check-ins <laughs> and uh don't forget to tune in next week we are going to be talking about the stonewall riots Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 